and welcome to another episode of NannyCast. If you are listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher, you're missing out on the show notes and more, which can be found on our website at nannycast.com. We love it when you promote us by giving us a great rating on iTunes, mentioning us on Facebook, blogging about us, or tweeting about us. If you want to go one step further, head on over to our website at nannycast.com and click on Support Us. Before we begin this episode, I'd like to point out, we are now on TuneIn. That means you can ask Alexa for us. You can. You can now listen to us on all your smart speakers, the HomePod, the Google Home, and anything with the word Echo in it. Yay! So hopefully you'll have all the more opportunities to tune in to us. Uh, hey, Nanny Sarah. Yes, Nanny Jen. Guess what? I'm Lady Light. Do we have a special guest episode here? Have you heard episode 9 of Unladylike, which is titled Nannying Up? Well, I mean, by the title of this podcast, I assume it has to do with typical lady issues of some sort. Unlady issues, at least. It has to do with nannies, and not just nannies, but nannies as feminist role models. I've got to say, nannies are kind of my new feminist career role models. Oh, same here. Well, we are pretty badass that way. So this episode talks about nannies as feminists and career role models and where the nannying profession came from, and also about the history of the caregiver profession as a whole. Okay, so, you know, history, how we got to this point, and I mean, it's a feminist issue because it's, it's definitely a gendered career field. There aren't very many men in nannying, and what men that there are are paid more than we are to start because they're tougher to have, and so they have to recruit them more expensively. Nannying involves a lot more than Play-Doh and swing sets. In most cases, it involves love. Well, that's the truth. It's a lot harder than most people think. I mean, how many times have every single one of us heard, oh, well, that's great, you get to play all day? I mean, I say that I get to play all day, but in truth, I don't just play. I watch out for the social and emotional development, the safety of my charge, and also I have to keep the house up to standard while at the same time making sure, as their guest said, that my charge is having a generally good and happy life. Well, love is an interesting issue they bring up there because that's something that even within nannying is not necessarily talked about as much as maybe it should be. But a big part of what we're doing is kind of selling love. You know, you're, you're selling your time there and the love that you have for all of your charges. I mean, that's a great thing about nannies is we are pretty free loving. You know, it doesn't take much for us to fall in love with our charges and to love them like our own children. But the same time, that is something we're being compensated for. The problem is, it's not something that is seen as direct compensation in our compensation packages, because how do you quantify love? And oftentimes we use the term a labor of love for something that you do for free. So I'm sure that complicates the issue more. But that labor of love is a big reason why domestic work is so obscenely undervalued. Yeah, domestic work is undervalued because... I mean, for ages, we've just been conditioned to see any sort of domestic work or care work as not real work. It's just a natural extension of our maternal instincts or whatever. Ah, uh, yes. I just want to say hashtag women's work. Oh, this is just something you naturally want to do as a woman. Therefore, you, it would be insulting to pay you for it, especially to pay you well. And it doesn't just hurt nannies for this sort of mentality to come across. It also hurts stay-at-home moms because stay-at-home moms, or dads for that matter, are unpaid nannies. Mm -hmm. Because it all stems from a little something we call patriarchy. You know, it's interesting, and, I, and the history behind this, that, you know, as we've come into this, the, I think my perspective on this is it seems to be an issue that's gotten worse 
we used to, you know, the, the classic nuclear family style of the 50s did give a lot of credit to the house spouse or obviously the housewife at the time for being you know, the silent partner that made everything else possible. But somehow in this transition to, well, women have to go to work now too, we seem to have forgotten that, well, you know, there's still somebody who's doing a lot of work just keeping up the house. And now a lot of times that's a paid employee. Care work is the work that makes all work possible. So one of the interesting things is in part of this is they're interviewing a former nanny who is now a community activist for domestic workers, who is advocating for domestic workers, including nannies and housekeepers and home health aides and such, to be paid appropriately and given the professional recognition and status in terms of salary and benefits that we deserve because it is a real job. And they talked about something very interesting with her, something that she chalks up to the fact that she was a minority and an undocumented individual, but I want to see if, for those listening, ought to know that Nanny Sarah and I are both white and we have both come from a privileged background. See if this rings true for you, Nanny Sarah. Did you feel at the time that you had room to ask for something like that? Or did you get the impression that, no, I can't ask this family for commute money? So the interviewer asks, as you've just heard, that they're asking, Nanny, did you feel that you could do that? And she says, At first, I didn't feel like I had the room. I was in this place where I couldn't, I didn't feel like I had the power to answer back or I didn't know how to answer back to a, an employer. You know, I think that is something that, it, it's definitely present, but I don't think it is as simple as saying that it is an issue of, of race or of, of documentation. You know, that is a difficulty that comes with working in people's homes. It is absolutely exacerbated when there are power imbalances that have to do with things like legal status. I mean, when an employer hires someone who doesn't have appropriate documentation, they hold a lot of power over that person, and that can cause a lot of distortions. This is intersectionality. It was worse for her because she had an intersectional set of circumstances going on, but it's not like it's not there for the rest of us also, in some degree or other. It's really hard as a nanny. I mean, you and I have worked with plenty of nannies. How many times do we just have to coach someone through how to, I mean, for lack of a better way of saying it, kind of stand up for what they deserve. And it's on our podcast as well, the same coaching. But at the same time, when she said those words, I felt it in my heart. I didn't feel when I started that I had that room. It was about them being rich. Yep. There's there's a lot more imbalance that goes into it, but that's what you're, you know, what I'm saying there. That goes right back to power. You feel like this person, you know, they're your employer and being a nanny means not having an HR department and you don't want to upset your employer because you could be without a job very quickly. We've got great employers, at least the two of us, so you know we have well-built relationships with them and that's what every nanny should really strive to is a good interpersonal relationship, but the reality is that that's not necessarily what you always start with. I want to back you up to the part where you talked about talking to other nannies and helping them figure out that they do have a voice and how to ask. Guess what she said? But after talking to nannies in the playground or at the library, I recognized that they, some of them, were getting cab fare, and I would bring up those conversations with employers. Professional development, professional networks work. It works if you work <laughs> it, so work it. There is a lot to be said for going around and saying, hey, wait, I'm actually not getting what seems to be standard, so maybe I shouldn't be so afraid of asking. And what do you think happened when she started to push the envelope because she was talking to other people and realizing she wasn't meeting industry standards, and she could be? 
Well, usually in my experience, the employers react a lot better than you expect. And I recognized when I asked or when I told them that I needed cab fare, it worked. There is a lot to be said for the reaction of your employers. I mean, one thing we've talked about just between the two of us is kind of how you get to where you are in your compensation package. And for both of us, we had an experience with an employer where basically an employer said, well, you do deserve this. This seems like something that you should be given, even though it was something that we hadn't been given before. In my case, it was, it was the first uh, mom who made sure to work maternity leave into my contract. Those you know, are things that you maybe would scared of asking for yourself, but it's a lot easier to ask if you know that that's something you've already gotten. And that was almost like an opening or an entryway for me to recognize that I have a voice and there was something more that I could do with that voice. For me, I've had a lot of successes and each success has built success. Nothing promotes risk-taking like previous successes. I cannot say to this day that when I go and ask, I don't still hold internally somehow that bias that they are rich and therefore they are right and I am bothering them. And I should be small and not ask because I'm lucky to have a job. But, you know, success has made me at least fake it well. Confidence goes a long way, but it's, it's hard fought in one. Because the person they were interviewing happened to be an immigrant and even an undocumented immigrant, what do you think happened to her about that? Do you think her employers were just like, no, we're going to treat you like you are any other person who's supposed to be here and pay you as fairly as we would pay in market rate? Or do you think they were like, oh we can use this to take advantage and exploit you. Unfortunately, I'm sure she came across at least one employer who used it against her because these people do exist. And you know, it's one of the reasons why it's important to have a nanny community is so you know who those employers are and you can avoid them. And I very much want to play her clip about what happened when she encountered this exploitation because I know not all nannies are documented. And I think that these particular words that she said that she reveals on the podcast, these particular ones give you at least something to build off of in terms of standing up for yourself. Did employers ever try to leverage your undocumented status to kind of put the kibosh on negotiations? I had one experience I was working with this family out in Brooklyn, and he said to me, well, you know, you are illegal, was the term. And I looked at him and I said to him, um, my documentation was not a concern or it wasn't an issue when you hired me. Don't ever let it be an issue while I'm on this job with you. My documentation wasn't a concern when you hired me. Don't ever let it be an issue while I'm on this job with you. Um, my documentation was not a concern or it wasn't an issue when you hired me. Don't ever let it be an issue while I'm on this job with you. You know, I, I really think that is such a pervasive attitude that really serves nannies well. I mean, at a much lesser seriousness, you and I both have unnaturally colored hair. And I know I have said many times that one of the reasons I don't make a point to dye my hair back to brown before I go for an interview is because this is what you're going to get. They're the same is true of anything that you think an employer might be able to hold against you. Don't let them understand that this is part of who you are and they knew this going into it and if they're going to have a problem with it then you you should serve yourself well by finding another employer um, my documentation was not a concern or it wasn't an issue when you hired me don't ever let it be an issue while i'm on this job with you my whatever wasn't an issue when you hired me don't let it be an issue ever while i'm on this job you know repeat after me um, my documentation was not a concern or it wasn't an issue when you hired me. 
Don't ever let it be an issue while I'm on this job with you. Pause this podcast, say this five times while staring in the mirror. These are power words. This power wasn't an words, issue. Power words, nannies. This was not an issue when you hired me. Let's not let it be an issue going forward. For me at that moment, I didn't feel threatened, but I felt like I had to do something. I had to respond to him in that moment. I couldn't just bite my town and be okay with it. I had to respond. Yes. Address those situations. Absolutely. Situation comes up and you say, this was not an issue when you hired me. Do not ever let it be an issue for the time that I have this job. Which, of course, to be fair, might result in you getting your marching orders. Oh, but then, you know, you go right back to as much as there are a lot of nannies who are, you know, like people in any in any job field who are in an economically unstable position where you need a job. But if you are able to get a job as a nanny, you can get another job as a nanny. I mean, that is one thing that I have learned is that there is never a shortage of need for childcare. Don't put yourself in a position that you don't have to be in if you don't have to be there. So then the podcast goes on to talk about the history of nannies and how nannies in this country are underpaid. Brief overview of this history, and I highly recommend listening to the podcast for a more in-depth overview of the history. The American system is, we had slavery, slaves did housework, slaves reared children, uh, slavery ended, still people had those housework skills in the era of Jim Crow, still reared children, underpaid as always because... Who pays former slaves for women's work? This is work that you should just do because I said so. Moving forward, you get to the 1970s and Fair Labor Standards Acts and well. And in 1974, Bolden, along with black feminists, labor organizers, and activists across the country, mobilized a successful grassroots campaign that finally won them federal minimum wage, overtime, and social security entitlements. You know, just 40 years after everybody else got them. But of course, the work was not over. Live-in domestic workers were still exempt from workplace protections. And out of that was born... The National Domestic Workers Alliance works to organize, educate, and empower domestic workers. It is sort of like the International Nanny Association, but for all domestic workers and focused purely on salary and benefits and workplace safety. It's not doing professional development. It is doing the human resources side of things. It's the idea that, you know, nannies and domestic workers of all kinds, housekeepers, even, you know, lawn care professionals who work for an individual employer, they deserve the same protections as any other job. Don't think that this is a settled issue. Like, of course we have it. We do not. There are a couple of states, I think seven at the time of this recording, that have a domestic workers bill of rights where you are entitled to the same exact employment protections as somebody working an office job. Um, but there are 50 states mm. and seven is not 50. Yeah, our state's not one of those. So Title VII, y'all know the one, the whole thing about no employment discrimination because of race, color, religion, sex, or national origin. Oh, that sounds great. But it only applies to employers who oversee at least 15 employees. So probably no dice, domestic workers. And on top of this, the Occupational Safety and Health Act of 1970, yeah, that doesn't sound super sexy, but you know what's even <laughs> less sexy? When you get hurt on the job and you have no federal guarantee for any recourse because OSHA is like, hey, guess what? We don't cover domestic workers. Also, nannying is an isolating profession. You don't have coworkers. You've got charges. You are just stuck all day in 
four walls and a roof with little kids and uh, and no actual coworkers unless you make them. Yeah, it's one of the things that makes domestic work so easy to exploit is you're isolated. There's nobody to see what's going on. There's nobody to tell you, hey, this is not okay. Because domestic work is done primarily in other people's homes, who knows what happens behind closed doors? Except sitting in a circle with women and hearing women share their stories and that moment of recognition of, I see you and I see that I'm not alone and I see the potential of our power together. What does that sound like to you? It sounds like a nanny group. It sounded to me like a nanny night out. Absolutely, which are, are important and you know probably exist in your state too. Nanny nights out are not just fun times. They seem like fun, frivolous social times, but they're actually doing very, very important work to keep us professional and safe in our careers. Insane. But together, when we talk about issues with one another in a nanny night out, because who goes to a nanny night out and doesn't talk shop? It's true. We are exchanging that information to keep ourselves from being exploited because... We see how exploitation manifests itself at a higher rate. We see how wage theft also shows itself at a higher rate. We see how a trafficking of domestic workers also ramps up. Raise your hand if one of those applied to you or, you, or someone you know. Exploitation, wage theft, which is I should have been paid overtime, I wasn't paid overtime, or I should have been paid for the hours that I worked and instead I was given some salary based on 40 hours a week and I have never in my life worked as few as 40 hours a week. Mm -hmm. And then, oh God, I that one breaks my heart is human trafficking, but that's, it happens. There, there are stories even within recent years of people who are essentially slaves who were working nanny positions, but you know, they weren't doing it voluntarily. Employers either take their passports or they, or the employers fly them in on private jets and they never had passports. Mm -hmm. um, and they're kept away from their home, their family, and they've got nowhere to go. This is, this is usually exploitation of- They're uh, certainly not paid most of the time. Of documentation status. It's, it happens, it's real, it's true. They are our nanny brothers and sisters. Thankfully, so, it is rare, but it, to say that it wouldn't exist would be a lie. It's absolutely still present in the United States. And the reason this stuff occurs is because nannies are isolated. Well, domestic workers, but we're nanny cast. Nannies are an isolated profession. So it behooves you, professional nanny listening to this podcast, it behooves you to reach out and find a professional network and a nanny community. But the also, it, it's important to make sure to check in on your nanny friends. You know, we, we always make a point to have communities of other nannies where the simplest reason you have that is so you can get your kids together and they can work out energy on their own. But also, you know, if you have a nanny who is what we lovingly refer to as a hermit nanny and prefers to stay in the house all the time, sometimes it's a good idea to, you know, make sure that you text with her or message her periodically to make sure that this is something that's her choice and that she's not somehow being exploited. And where does the exploitation come from? Hashtag crush the... And you know, Caroline, this kind of exploitation and discrimination is something that you and I are really familiar with here on Unladylike, because it all stems from a little something we call patriarchy. This exploitation comes from patriarchy. Therefore, by definition, <laughs> not being an exploited nanny means you Smash are patriarchy. a feminist. Very simply, because you are doing something that is considered women's work. It's considered women's work, and there is a pervasive... Uh, even if it's underlying and not explicit, there is this pervasive belief that you shouldn't have to pay a lot of money for this. By making sure that you are paid, not even necessarily a lot, 
but that you were paid what you were worth, that you were treated fairly, and that you were not exploited. You are practicing feminism just by, again, making sure that you are treated equally for what might be considered women's work. And are you less of a feminist if you are a male nanny? Absolutely not. In fact, I think in a lot of cases just being a male nanny, doing something that is typically considered women's work and not being ashamed of it is, you know, male feminism at its best. But wait a minute, I thought feminism meant that you had to go around just smashing men. No. Feminism is, is a belief in the equality between sexes. Uh, you know, and that's when you hear male feminists, I know that's something that like has been the fruit of a lot of jokes lately in recent years, but male feminists are, are just men who acknowledge that there isn't something that should be that men should do and women should do. I mean, aside from strictly biological reproductive tasks, beyond that, you know, men can care for children too. Men can help to produce, help to keep the household together, and women can help to contribute to the economic stability of the family. There's nothing that needs to be gendered. So wait a minute. What you're saying is, not only do I have a real job, how many times have we heard people ask mm -hmm. us when you're going to get a real job? What are you going to be when you grow up? So not only do I have a real job that deserves compensation at at an appropriate rate and a proper benefits package, but I'm also equating myself to men and therefore just treating myself as a human being of genderless purpose in this global economy? You are just making sure that your labor is valued the same as anyone else's. Huh. Well, who knew? And for that, I get to be a superhero feminist. <laughs> Isn't a wonderful feeling? Hey guys, guess what? We all accidentally woke up this morning and we're feminists. episode or, well, anything really, by visiting our website at nannycast.com and commenting on the episode. Click on the Contact Us link to submit episode ideas or leave more general feedback. Get in touch on Twitter by sending out a tweet with the hashtag nannycast. Or just give us a call. Our number is 206-337-3078.